Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, amazing and everlasting God, today we want to thank you for our local church. We thank you that you have brought us this wonderful motley crew together and that over the past 20 years or so we have enjoyed great leadership and warm friendships. We thank you for David and Arena's courage and willingness to begin this work. And we pray that you will pour out an extra special blessing upon them and their family. We thank you for David and Judy Bland, who greatly encouraged us to use our gifts, which helped us to grow spiritually. We thank you for Sam and Joe and for their obvious love for you. Thank you for their gentleness and many gifts. Thank you for your direction in their life that brought them to our door. We are truly blessed to have them lead us. Thank you for this facility so that we have a place to worship you and gather together. Thank you for the team who works so hard to put this together every week. Thank you for each and every member of this body who contribute their love, prayers, time and energy so that they can be a blessing to their fellow man. We ask if there are any among us that are feeling lonely or broken hearted that we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings and love and help these people. We ask that if there are, there are those who feel overwhelmed with the issues of life, that you give them courage to reach out and to seek help. We ask for healing for the sick amongst us. We ask also for courage, for there you have placed in the body gifts of your spirit, and we pray that the people will use these gifts without feeling embarrassed or unsure. We also think of people in our community who will one day be part of this body. Lord, we ask that you guide and direct them to us. Help us to be open for business in the winning of souls. Forgive us for the things we, do, we don't do so well, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to do better. Thank you, Lord, for loving us, nurturing us and putting us together in this family. Help us to love one another as you love us. Guide us in all we do in this local church so that you may be truly glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Willie, for that prayer. I love this community. Great to be a part of it, and uh, I hope that you all feel uh, similarly blessed. I was very uh, interested in the um, Kerry's children talk this morning. Um, I was watching the children down here who were in rapt attention, but it wasn't only the children. Uh, the parents who were standing at the back were all looking on, uh, with uh, smiling and also rapt. My wife actually commented about the. A nose can't be a hand, but she said an elephant nose can. She can pick up things. So she was obviously listening. Anyway, <laughs> just before we start this morning, I have a little, um, uh, little video. It's a reflective video. It's in the sense of what I'd like to talk about this morning, so perhaps we could run that now. Thank you for the, tech, for the technology, people with the technology, because they've been able to bring it on.
Now, those of you who were alert would have seen that uh, that particular video quoted, Ask and it shall be given you, is John 3.16. <laughs> Richard's nodding his head. It's actually not John 3.16, it's Matthew 7.7, 7, and it's from the passage that I want to talk about today. <clears throat> in my late teens, uh, I began to get interested in classical literature. And... Um, Amongst that literature was the writings of um, famous Russian authors, Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace and Anna Karenina, um, Dostoevsky, Crime and Punishment, and Brothers Karamazov. And as I was reading those, I came across the fact that Tolstoy, um, in his late teens, Oh, sorry, not late teens, late 40s, um, was converted to Christianity. Tolstoy was a count, uh, very rich, and uh, owned much property. But in his late 40s, he had a crisis and was at the point of committing suicide. But he didn't really have the uh, strength for it. And he uh, began to observe that the peasants um, on his land who lived in really abject poverty were able to live a happy and fruitful life. And he discovered that, that the root of that was their faith. And so it caused him to examine the Gospels and to himself to become a Christian. And once he, began, once he became a Christian, he uh, began to look more deeply into the scripture and particularly the Sermon on the Mount. There he found a way of life which, as Peter Simmons said uh, a few weeks ago, was a totally different culture to what the world knows. And uh, that is the reality that Jesus came and uh, penetrated the old lifestyles and brought a new. Now, which way do I do that? This way. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we read these words. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, that's Jesus, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth, mouth and taught them, saying. And there, over the next three chapters, follows the teaching that he came uh, to bring. And then in Matthew 7, 28, 29, we read, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus' teaching uh, is one of self-sacrificing love, not self-promoting, not self-saving, not self-occupied, 
the sort of life which our flesh hankers after, but one which is, uh, as the golden rule says, uh, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus' teaching reflects the whole nature of God the Father. And more particularly, in the in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus says that this way leads to blissful happiness, whereas the other, self-interested, leads to division, strife, and in the end, great sadness. We read about this dichotomy in some of his other verses in the scripture. Luke 17.33 says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Staggering thought, really. And then again in Matthew 11, 29, 30, we read, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Meek and lowliness in heart. Contrary to the way that mankind thinks, the way to a full life is one of humility, kindness, patience, not self-seeking, etc. Now, I know that initially when people read the Sermon on the Mount, they can find it quite difficult to accept its principles or even perhaps believe it's impossible. But when we realise that it's the truth, and the substance of a full and happy life, and indeed the only answer to our welfare and for the good of society, then we'll taste and see that it is good and true. For those seeking righteous living, and I'm sure you all want that, the Sermon on the Mount is like a great feast to me. It's a smorgasbord of delightful truths. And it's those truths that we sang that song that cause us to worship him. And that's what it does for me. I love the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a light slicing through the darkness. It is the sword of the Spirit the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and quick to discern the thoughts of men. Too many pages. <clears throat> so I think that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. When you read it, uh, it's re very revealing in regard to our own position. Now the Sermon on the Mount has the following parts. <clears throat> Going backwards. 
And the first part is the, is, are the Beatitudes, and I've spoken briefly about the Beatitudes before. The Beatitudes talk about being happy. Jesus starts his conversation with the people on the mount with how to be happy. And the way to be happy is to be poor in spirit. It seems to be in opposition to what we would think. But the beginning of our happiness is to, be, is to know a poverty in spirit. Because out of that poverty of spirit, we will begin to regret our, our position. And out of our regret, if we find Jesus, we will, we will be comforted. And that regret will lead us into a meekness. Because we'll understand that we don't have the answers, that he has the answers. He has the life. The life is not in us. The life is in Christ. And from that position, we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness because we want it. We want that life, the life which is beautiful, which is true, uh, which is fulfilling, or which Jesus says makes you happy. And out of that hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we find mercy and the life of mercy of forgiving others is a fantastic life. It brings happiness. And not only that, it has a, an effectiveness in our own life because it purifies us. And Jesus says, happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good ending to me. But he goes on to there and says, from that position you, be, you will become like a son of God and you'll become peacemakers because you want to see that peace, that love, that life that you enjoy become a reconciling thing between you and others and between others and God. It's a fantastic way. It's the way that Christ lays before us not as a duty, but as the way to live and the way that will bring you life and you happiness. Some people don't like the word happy. They think it's a bit of froth and bubble. But I'm very happy to be happy and I look for it. He then goes on to talk about the salt and light. And Sam has preached about light not that long ago. But... Um, he, he, he elevates our position. Jesus, after telling us, here's a way to be happy, he says, look, you're the salt, and light, salt of the earth. You're the light of the earth. Let, it, let your light shine. Be that in the earth. Um, it's a fantastic position. What an opportunity to be the salt and the light of the earth. And then he goes on to say, that he himself is the fulfilment of all the law, all the Old Testament, all the things that people were expecting, all the things that people were hoping for, all the desires of their heart are fulfilled in him, in his ways and his life. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount reveals to us the fundamental 
principles for a guide to a happy life. I didn't say, uh, I hadn't gone on to say that it also says after about being peacemakers that you might suffer persecution for righteousness sake. Uh, And one might ask, well, how can you be happy suffering persecution? I read an old book once. uh, It was written back in the 1600s. And it had a reference in in the column of about a man who was being tortured for his um, beliefs. And uh, he was on the rack. You've all heard of the rack. Uh, Sometimes I feel I wouldn't mind being on myself just to stretch my bones. I'm losing height and getting shorter by the minute. But I thought the rack might be a good thing to perhaps enlarge me a little bit. But he was on the rack, suffering dreadfully, appearing to suffering dreadfully. But when they took him off, he complained bitterly because while he was there, the angels were ministering to him and uh, he had such joy in that position. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, I know, but that's the testimony. That was his testimony. And while he was on the rack, the angels came and ministered to him. All through the Sermon on the Mount, you find these fundamental principles of meekness, hungering for righteousness, mercy, Non-violence and trust in God. They're the central building blocks of our life to be built on the foundation which Jesus Christ has laid. And if we live in this way, we will experience life in, in, in in a magnificent way. We will be in the great river of life. My testimony is that when you're in the great river of life, Uh, you're in the flow. And um, it seems to be that God is continually for you. Um, What's it say? Uh, No matter what happens, uh, God is for you. Uh, All things work together for good for them that love the Lord. All things work together for good for them that love the Lord. Just briefly, (coughs) these are some of the things that come up in the Sermon on the Mount. Anger, lust, sanctity of marriage, oaths, retaliation, treatment of enemies. That's all in the rest of chapter 5. Anger. Jesus says, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder. But Jesus said, but I say unto you, um, thou shalt not not be angry. If you're angry, you'll be in danger of judgment. If you call someone raka, we're not too sure what that means, uh, you'll be in danger of the council. Or if you call someone a fool, you'll be uh, in danger of Hell's fire that is the interp- interpretation, some of the early interpretations, but the word there for hell is actually Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place in, in Jerusalem which was a rubbish dump, burning away, had been a spot where children had been sacrificed to God. The point about it is, what Jesus is saying is, if, you, if your life is based on anger, arrogance, 
if, if that's the way you are towards people, be sure it'll have a bad ending. Lust. Um, he talks about if you, if you lust after things that you shouldn't, shouldn't lust after, it's better to cut your hand off. He talks in, talks in hyperbole. If you want, it's better to cut your hand off, although I think it probably is better to cut your hand off or cut, pluck your eye out if you're, if you're, in, if you're experiencing that. But he, what he's saying is these things have a bad ending. So don't live that way. It's a very simple process. O's, don't make any O's, Jesus says. Don't make the vows. Now, I don't want to be controversial, but if you go into court these days, they ask you to make an oath on the Bible. Seems to be tremendously contradictory to the gospel. The reason he says, but don't make oaths, though, he said, because you can't do anything about it. You can't. You can only say yes, I'll do that, or no, I won't do that. Anything beyond that, he says, comes from the evil one. You can't. You can't bring about something uh, yourself by making some sort of oath. You can't take make one hair of your head black or to white. You can't do it. So. Don't be presumptuous. You can't live like that. You can't do those things, so don't make, don't make it sound so you can do them. Retaliation. Uh, this is something which Gandhi, in, no, Gandhi, in the famous Indian, said that if, if all Christians lived in accordance with the Sermon on the Mount, he said the whole world would be Christian now. He was so enamoured with it. A retaliation says, if someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone takes your coat, give him your cloak also. If someone makes you walk, walk a mile, go two miles. Um, I hope I'm getting over the fact that this is a, this is a life of, of um, meekness, of patience. It sounds wrong to those of to our, our standing on our digs, uh, wanting to be right, it sounds contradictory, but it's the way of life that Christ lived himself and calls us to. And then loving your enemies. What an amazing thing. You know, Peter, we've, Jesus says, all very well to love those who love you, but love your enemies. Do good to them who hate you and despitefully use you. Pray for them. Incredible um, challenges, aren't they? But remember, they what make you happy. So they're not so much a challenge when you realise that it's for your own good and your own well-being, for your own eternal purpose. At the end of that passage, Jesus says, "Be ye therefore perfect." The word "perfect" there is mature. Be mature in your faith. Even as your Father in heaven, just like your Father in heaven, is perfect. For he sends the rain and the sunshine on good and bad alike. He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't make a judgment on them. The rain and the sunshine fall on us all. So our, our position is to treat everyone in the same way, to love them, to care for them, 
to seek their good. Why? Because it makes us happy. Chapter 6 talks about giving, prayer, the Lord's Prayer is in that passage. Forgiveness, forgiveness is so important if we are to be joyful and happy. Fasting, how are we not to fast so that other, we make a show of it in front of other people. Laying up treasure, don't worry about treasure here in this life, but to lay it up in heaven by living his life. Seeing rightly and talks about being anxious. Don't take, don't take any anxious thought. Hard one, I find I often take anxious thought. Um, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore so God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and will later be thrown in the fire. He says, how much more shall he clothe you? That was my father's favourite verse. Every time mum went shopping, he used to quote it. <laughs> but it's tremendously true, isn't it? If you can live a life, you can see it, if you, if you think about it long enough, you can see that if you can live in that way of dependence on the Lord, uh, putting your anxieties aside and trusting him, then you will have joy and, and happiness. In regard to giving, just a little bit of a personal thing, um, when Jean and I first got married, we wondered what we were supposed to do about giving. You know, there was always talk about tithing and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus says, give to them that ask of you. And from a borrower, don't turn away. Give to them that ask of you. And in those early years, we began to see little tin on the shop counter and all the things that used to come through the, through the mail and all that, we began to see each one of those as an opportunity to give. Not so much to, for the benefit of the, to whom you were giving, but as a freedom and liberty in your own whole soul and spirit. And uh, so we did that, and, but we did find that little by little our giving sort of rose to a sort of a level of tithe and, and, and more. And then we said to the Lord, well, hang on, if we, if we give and we overgive, we're going to have to trust you that you will stop the people coming or you'll make the provision available so we can give. And, and if we don't give enough, we assume that you're going to keep on asking us some three people to, to give. And so we, we, we function in that life. And during that time, it was amazing in the early days because uh, we were several times found ourselves without means. And on every occasion, something supernatural happened. It wasn't supernatural in effect. We didn't have meat one week, couldn't afford the meat. And, the, and that same week, the neighbour leaned over the fence and said, my father has brought me all this meat. Would you like some? Now, the point about it, if you don't enter into that faith life, you never experience the joys of that thing happening. And also, you find that you're, you're, you're moving in this river of life, the Lord's provision. So... Just one funny little one was that when I was working in town, I, I uh, left work one night, and um, for some reason, and down at the Adelaide railway station, there used to be one of these blind dogs, you know, the um, model you put money in. And uh, where do I used to go past? I'd have some change in pocket, drop it in, that sort of thing. And this particular night, I'd left work, and for some reason or other, 
into my mind jumped this thought, David, you got, your only money you've got on, on you is $50 in your pocket, in your wallet. And I didn't particularly want to put $50 into the blind dog, but I went past the blind dog. So um, deceit for me begins to work out a way of how I can avoid this blind dog. <laughs> you know, the Adelaide railway station's got the ramp and it's got the staircase. I normally go down the ramp and there was the blind dog. So I thought to myself, oh, why did this pop into my mind? And then I thought, well, if I don't take the ramp, I can go down the steps and I won't go past the blind dog. This is all deceitful that's happening in my mind. So finally I get down there and I duck down the steps and to my amazement, the whole place was under repair. The, the people had moved in, they, they were putting up scaffolding and everything. There was no blind dog there. It was an amazingly joyful moment, actually. <laughs> because I saw that somehow or other the Lord trapped me. The, the thing popped into my mind. My deceit started to work, but he had it worked out, all worked out before I got there. I could have just trusted him. I needn't be deceitful. I could have gone down the ramp and it still wouldn't have been there. Because you see what I'm saying? It seemed a real interaction between me and the Lord at that point. The joy of life in, with the Lord is just fantastic. So, need the next one. Chapter 7 talks about judging others. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Why are you judging others? You've got a beam in your own eye. Get rid of that before you start thinking about others. What's it say? Don't try to take the beam out of someone else's eye, out of life when you've got... Or don't take the splinter out of someone else's life when you've got a beam in your own eye. Once again, it's this humility, meekness, needs to be functioning. Discreet with holy things. In other words, don't cast your pearls before swine, he says. Keep them, don't, don't, don't try and place them where, where they can't be received. And asking, ask, we saw that in doing the video, ask and you shall, you shall, yeah, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. They're great promises. We don't need to be bereft of anything. Set our hearts to ask and to seek and to find in the right attitudes of love and we will, we will find. And then he goes on the false prophets and building on the rock. Now, building on the rock is something we used to sing as a child. Build on the rock and knock on the sands. Uh, does anybody remember that chorus? Hmm. Some of the oldies do. Oh, even Kerry. <laughs> How lovely. Build on the rock. Jesus is the rock. The foundation, the only foundation laid. As Paul said, build on it with precious stones and jewels, not with wood, hay and stubble. So let your life build on the foundation that Christ was laid in you and let it be one of joy and gladness. Happiness is yours if you, if you see the way to receive it. Now Tolstoy wrote two stories which were quite impressive for me. One was called Ivan the Fool. And if you can get that 
uh, at Story. You can, I think you can download off the web. But Ivan, the, Ivan was someone who put all these principles into practice. And it showed, uh, a story shows him suffering but, pro- but, but um, prospering in, in his life. Uh, and it's a wonderful sort of recount of what uh, Tolstoy understood of a life of resisting not evil with evil but overcoming it with good. And there's another little story which I really love and it's called The Three Questions. And it's about a king who um, wants to know the answer of three questions. Firstly, what is the most important time? Secondly, who's the most important person? And thirdly, what is the most important thing that he should do? And he puts this question out to all his uh, advisors and and over time, no one can come up with an answer. And then he suddenly, so someone tells him there's somewhere out in the forest, there's a hermit, very wise hermit, who can perhaps help him. So the king sets off on this journey to find the hermit. Now it takes him a long time to get there. But when he does get there, he finds the hermit and the hermit is working in his garden. The hermit is very old, so he's very weary and very tired, but he's working away in his garden. And the king accosts him and says, look, I want to know the answer to these three questions. But the hermit is so tired, so exhausted, he can't really answer him. So the king takes compassion on the hermit and begins to help him in the garden. That goes on for some time until it's so dark that it's too late for the king to go back that night. So the hermit invites him to spend the evening with him. And they go into, um, into, the, into the hermit's home and the little hut and uh, they, they're making themselves ready for bed. And while they're doing that, a fellow comes in all beaten up, bruised, battered, and near, you know, really, really in a bad way. And so they forget they're going to bed and they tend to him and care for him, bandage him up, and, and then they all go to bed exhausted. In the morning, uh, the king wakes up and there's this fellow there lying in the other bed looking at him and he says, please forgive me, please forgive me. And the king says, well, I haven't got anything to forgive you for. And the, the chap says, yes, he says, you have, he said, because I was very angry with you for something that happened in the realm. And he said, uh, I, I was lying in wait to do you harm when you came back. But he said, instead of that, some brigands fell upon me and beat me up. So he said, Please forgive me because you've tended me, you've cared for me, you've looked after me, and I'm very grateful. Anyway, so that friendship was renewed and uh, the king must get back to his realm, so he, he just makes uh, himself ready and about to, uh, to depart. And he says to the hermit, can you please tell me the answer to my questions? And the hermit looked at him and said, oh, he said, you've answered those yourself. 
And the king said, well, how? He said, well, he said, when you came, when you came in, I was so weary and tired, I couldn't answer you. He said, but you helped me. You, you, you helped me dig the garden and you completed that work with me and then we came inside and we're going to go to bed and then this chap came in and, he, and when he came in, he said, you helped him. You cared for him and you looked after him and you bandaged him. So the two and you two were reconciled to one another. So the hermit said, you see, the most important time is now. And the most important thing to do, the most important person is the person you're with. And the most important thing to do to them is to do good to them, to love them, to care for them. And that was the answer for questions. I like it. I reflect on it often. And uh, I particularly reflect on the Sermon on the Mount where I always find um, a love and a, and a, a sort of sense of worship over the majesty of our God who lives that way himself. But he is kind, he is patient, he is long-suffering. He doesn't vaunt us himself. Uh, he's magnificent. Thank you.